Shall we turn again for a while to the passage of Scripture we read in 1 Samuel and chapter 23? And we'll read again from verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. Discouragement is a terrible thing. It can take away our courage, it can take away our resolve, and it can leave us powerless and ineffective. And the devil is an expert at discouragement. He knows that a discouraged Christian is an ineffective Christian. And when we look in the Bible, we find that many of the great saints suffered discouragement. When the Israelites were defeated by the men of Ai, we read there that uh, a, a Joshua uh, was greatly discouraged. One moment Joshua was buoyed up with confidence. He had followed the instructions of the Lord. They had marched around the city of Jericho and they had blown the trumpets and the Lord broke down the walls and uh, they were able to go in and uh, destroy the city uh, in its entirety. But then when it came to the next uh, city that was on the list of cities to be attacked and destroyed uh, as they were seeking to uh, colonize, as it were, the, the land of Canaan, uh, they decided that as it was quite a small city, it was a lot smaller than Jericho, they didn't need to trouble the whole army. So they just sent a much smaller detachment of soldiers. And uh, they were routed by the men of Ai. The men of the city of Ai came out and chased the Israelites down the road and uh, killed a number uh, of them. And Joshua, who previously had been buoyed up and so enthusiastic, uh, lay on the ground and he uh, threw dust on his head. He was there all afternoon. Our sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. He was a man who one moment was buoyed up and confident and a short while later he was down and he was discouraged and he was blaming the Lord. Why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan? Why didn't you leave us on the other side? Just as the people in the desert had moaned to the Lord. Why on earth did you bring us out here to die in this wilderness? Surely in Egypt we had food of all different kinds. And then Elijah, in that lovely passage of Scripture, when he's a, with the priests of Baal on top of a Mount Carmel, and he challenged the priests of Baal to build an altar, to put on it a bullock, and then to call on their God to send fire to consume uh, the bullock. And he himself did the same. He built an altar, he put a bullock on it, and he would call on his God, the God of Israel, to do the same. Because the people of Israel at that time, they were in fear of Ahab, they were in fear of Jezebel, and they were swithering, perhaps in their hearts, they wanted to worship the true God, but out of fear, they were worshiping the Baals, the God of Jezebel, who had come from uh, the north. And uh, in that lovely 
uh, story, the priests of Baal called on their so-called God. They danced about all afternoon. They cut themselves with their knives and were told that nothing happened. The heavens were silent. No flames came and uh, destroyed the bullock that was on the altar. And then when it was the turn of Elijah, he cried out to the Lord God of Israel to do the same. And fire came from heaven and consumed not only the bullock, but also the stones of the altar and the water in the trough around the, uh, the stones that he had uh, built. And he had stood up to King Ahab, but he wilted, we're told, before the threats of Queen Jezebel, this hard-hearted woman whose name has come down in history to describe any woman of a certain character, uh, Jezebel. He had stood up to King Ahab, but he had wilted before the threats of Queen Jezebel. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And we know that Job and Jeremiah and many others also experienced discouragement. And this particular passage we're looking at this evening does not state specifically that David was discouraged, but it's very hard to believe that he was not. Once he had been the favorite of King Saul, but now he was on the run. Saul was out to uh, kill him. On uh, a previous occasion, described in chapter 21, he had gone to the Philistines, but he had feigned madness because the uh, soldiers of the Philistine king uh, wanted to do away with him. And on another occasion, he sought help from Ahimelech, the priest uh, at the sanctuary who gave him some bread and also gave him the sword of Goliath, which he had placed in the sanctuary after he had killed uh, Goliath. And for that act of kindness, Saul ruthlessly, ruthlessly slaughtered the priests and their families. And David was absolutely right to be fearful, because when we look at the history of King Saul, he had started well, but he had turned into a tyrant. And we're all familiar with tyrants, with such ruthless men who have no compunction about killing anyone who gets in their way. We've seen that over this past week. And David, we were reading here, had rescued the people in a city called Kyla from the Philistines, but he subsequently discovered that the very people whose lives he had saved were going to, uh, to betray him to King Saul. And they obviously feared Saul, and they were right to do so, because he was as ruthless as Putin and Saddam Hussein and others like him. And so David, we find, was moving around in the desert, not finding any sanctuary where he could stay. And uh, even the local people we were reading here uh, offered to hand him over to Saul. So at the end of the day, who could he trust he was surrounded on all sides by enemies, and Saul was closing in for the kill. And although we cannot ascertain the precise uh, historical uh, events behind some of the Psalms, in Psalm 31, for instance, from verse uh, 9, uh, Paul, uh, David here is saying, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also, for my life is spent with sorrow 
and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. And then again in Psalm 40 from verse 13, we read there, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and dis disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire my hurt. And there are many other occasions when we look at the Psalms and we see David's cry to the Lord. So David certainly knew what it was on many occasions to be, uh, to be fearful. And um, we, we read in Scripture, the God whom we worship, our God, he's not dispassionate about our situation. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He created us from the dust of the ground. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows our feelings and he knows our fears. And in Psalm 103, as we were singing, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Saul had tried hard to find David, and yet he was unable to. But we're told that Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him to find strength in God, helped him to find strength in God. And there is no doubt that the Lord guided him to the whereabouts of David. And we might ask ourselves, uh, where do we turn when we feel weak? And there are times, I'm sure, when all of us feel weak, when we feel under attack, when we feel uh, discouraged. To whom or to what do we turn when we reach the end of our tether? Many people might look inwardly, seeking to draw some kind of deep inner strength that they find there, perhaps whipping themselves up into a positive frame of mind. Other people uh, might look inwards, as I was saying, to some uh, inner strength there. When the Philistines, we read in 1 Samuel 4, when the Philistines heard that the Ark of the Lord had arrived on the field of battle, they urged one another on. Now, the, the Israelites at that time had not been told by the Lord to take the ark onto the field of battle. They were treating it like a token, like a totem. There was a superstition uh, surrounding it. And so the Philistines urged one another on, be strong, Philistines, be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews. Be men and fight. And they did so, and they won, and they took the ark of the covenant into captivity and when news of the capture of the ark reached Eli, the chief priest at the tabernacle at Shiloh, he fell off his chair and broke his neck, and he died. Sometimes on television you'll see uh, a team, football, rugby, or whatever, and they're all in a bit of a huddle, sort of geeing one another up, and, and no doubt seeing all sorts of encouraging things. And I would love to be, to be there sometimes, just listening. What exactly are they saying to one another, to, to gee one another up. And a team captain, if a team captain's worth uh, their salt, they will try to lift their men or lift their women when they're a goal down and to lead by example. And that's fine, and it is to be commended. But for the Christian believer who is engaged in spiritual warfare, we need more than mere positive thinking. We need more than to be g'd up. 
by uh, our fellow uh, believers. And so David himself, when we look at the history of David, he was no weakling. As a boy, he faced uh, Goliath and he killed him, the Philistine Colossus who had instilled fear into the whole army of Israel. And day by day, uh, Goliath came out onto the field of battle and he challenged the Israelites to send the champion to fight against him. And if you beat us, then we will become your slaves. And likewise, if, we, if I beat your champion, then you will become uh, our slaves. And uh, the, Philip, the, the Israelite army, they paled under his boasts. No one had the courage to take him on. Even though they were the Lord's people, yet they must have forgotten the many covenant promises that God had given them concerning uh, the land of Canaan. And then when Saul questioned David about his ability to match Goliath, David replied, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Here was David, this young boy who had looked after his father's sheep and had rescued them from lions and from bears. This was no wimp. This was no weakling. And yet here was a man who possibly at this particular stage was discouraged. I don't know if you've ever seen an angry bear close up. When I was in my 20s, I worked in Indonesia, and uh, we had a pet bear cub. It was about this size. It would sleep in my arms, and it would chew on my thumb. Uh, it, was, it, it was like a teddy bear. But here I was as an adult with a real live teddy bear. And uh, one day, the houseboy, the houseboy was an Indonesian boy who uh, kept the house and the office where we were working. He kept it tidy. And one day he opened a tin of mackerel, tipped it into a saucepan, and he put it on a camping stove on the floor. And uh, the bear came in. Bears have a very sensitive uh, sense of smell. Came in, took a fancy to the mackerel, knocked the saucepan off of the stove, and immediately guzzled a whole tin of mackerel. And the houseboy, not used to bears, he went towards the bear to shoo it away. And this little creature, no bigger than that, stood up on its hind legs and its claws came out and it growled and wisely the houseboy backed off. And here we have David having taken on full-grown bears, not a little bear cub, but a full-grown bear. And we might ask ourselves, what was the source of David's courage? What was the source of his confidence? And he answered uh, King Saul, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And perhaps now, many years later, as a fugitive, David had to be reminded once again of that source and not lose heart. This man who once trusted implicitly in the Lord needed to be reminded to continue trusting him again. Jonathan, we read, helped him to find strength in God, as it's put in one of the other translations. He came alongside his old friend to encourage him not to lose heart, not to give up. Don't be 
afraid. Did Jesus not say the same thing to his disciples on the night he was betrayed? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And in John, the beloved disciple who had leaned against Jesus at the Last Supper, we read in Revelation when he saw the risen and glorified Christ, he fainted in fear. I fell at his feet as though dead. He placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And then later on, when Paul was in Corinth, and perhaps he was discouraged by the opposition of the Greeks to his preaching of the gospel, the Lord spoke to him, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And perhaps that's a good message for us in the Christian church today. Uh, Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And when we see all the attacks being made against the church, when we see demands for government legislation to clip our wings and restrict us from speaking out on certain topics, we need to remember who we are, that we represent the Lord God of hosts. We are not to be silent. We are to keep speaking out. And we're reminded here that the Lord is with us. And even Jesus in anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane when he saw the shadow of the cross looming over him and when Luke describes for us that he was sweating like drops of blood, he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, but not my will, but thine be done. And then we're told that an angel from heaven came and strengthened him. Jesus, who was about to bear the sins of his people, your sins and mine, he needed to be strengthened by an angel from heaven. And we might ask the question, how did Jonathan encourage David? Well, he did so by reminding him of God's promises. Don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You shall be king over Israel. He reminded David of the promises that God had given to him. And David knew that because when Samuel had come with his horn of oil and tipped it over the head of David and anointed him as king, he knew that one day he would ascend the throne of Israel. And sometimes we need to be encouraged by being reminded again of God's promises to us. And... uh, Uh, John the Baptist, when he was in prison, uh, one moment we read in the scriptures that in the Jordan Valley, when Jesus was passing along, he pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then when he was in prison, perhaps doubts began to set in, and he sent his disciples to Jesus to say, Are you the one who was to come, or should we look for another And Jesus didn't say yes and he didn't say no, but he reminded him of all the things that he had been doing, that the eyes of the blind were being opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame leaping like the deer. And John, of course, knew the Old Testament prophecies. And so he knew that, yes, this was the one who was to come. This was the anointed one, the Messiah, uh, the Christ. And so the Lord sent David a word in season to lift his heart. And what grace. Later on, Solomon, David's son, when he 
took the throne, wrote in Proverbs 25, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. And again, like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. And he may well have been thinking of his father's experiences when he was being hounded by Saul in the desert. And we must remind ourselves that as Christians, we are on the winning side. The church in Scotland may appear to be declining. The Lord's people may seem small in number. The world might mock us for our faith. Governments might ignore us and pass ungodly legislation. But let us not be discouraged. Let us look to Christ and to him alone. When Peter stepped out of the boat, as long as he looked to Christ, he was walking on the water. But the moment he looked at the wind and the waves beating around his feet, fear set in and he began to sink. Our God is on the throne. He is sovereign. And we must remind ourselves that when Jesus saves us, he doesn't save us and then leave us to our own devices. He's with us for the journey. God who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so in this particular case, encouragement came to David through a fellow believer. And that is God's way because the church is a fellowship. Yes, we're all individuals. We're a motley crowd of people, each one of us uh, different, each one of us perhaps with uh, different outlooks. But we're a fellowship. We're all one in Christ Jesus, as that great banner says uh, in the tent at Keswick. And Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, encourage one another and build each other up. And to Philemon, your love has given me great joy and encouragement. And in Romans 12, if someone's gift is encouraging, let him encourage. If someone's gift is encouraging, let her encourage. Encouragement is a gift. My favorite um, Old Testament commentator, Dale Ralph Davis, he puts it this way. The encouragement from God for the people of God comes from the word of God. The encouragement from God for the people of God comes from the word of God. And if God has given us the gift to encourage others and let us use it, our chief end, as we know, is to glorify God and to enjoy him for other. And God is not glorified by a defeatist or a discouraged church. And so when doubts and fears overwhelm us, as they often seem to do, then we need to turn to God's word, because that is where he speaks to us. That's where he encourages us. That's where he demonstrates his love for us. That's where he sometimes challenges us. Our feelings vary. They can rise and fall. But God's love is steady. God's love is unwavering and his promises secure. In Hebrews 6, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. And if Christ is our Savior and Lord this evening, then we have this anchor, sure and steadfast, to hold us firmly to God himself. Jesus is Lord. He is sovereign and always will be. We are his people. And the amazing thing is that one day, the Bible tells us, we will reign with 
him. David, Jonathan's son, Saul, rose and went to David Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he did so by reminding him of God's promises. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. Amen. And may the Lord add his blessing to these thoughts and meditations on his word. Eternal and ever blessed Lord, we uh, do feel discouraged at times and we need to, uh, to be lifted up. And what better place to find encouragement but to turn to uh, your word and uh, help us, Lord, to look out for one another because we are a fellowship of God's people. Help us to look out for those uh, who may be struggling inwardly and yet find it difficult to share uh, their fears with those around them. So, Lord, uh, forgive us for anything said this evening that's not in accordance with your word. May the glory be yours and the blessings ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In his name we ask it. Amen.